0: What is going on everybody? Welcome to another evening of Wednesday Night Football. I'm sorry that this is the first one in two weeks. Last week I had some other things to get done. I was traveling, but we're back and I brought on a very special guest for the return episode. Benjamin Solak from The Ringer. How are you doing, Ben?
1: I'm good, man. Thrilled to be talking some NFC East football. Just, just two That's right. titans of the, of the NFC battling it out for positioning in the playoffs. Great stuff.
0: That's one way to put it. (laughs) They are battling it out for the the in-the-hunt seeds. The New York Giants and the Washington Commanders played a low-scoring 14-7 to game in the noon window that I didn't see really anybody talk about. So that is our game this week. And I think the most pressing issue is Tyrod Taylor got the win. They almost beat the Bills last week. So they are kind of starting to maybe put some things together. Do you think that Tyrod has shown enough to potentially usurp Daniel Jones as the starter in New York?
1: Which world are we living in? Are we living in the world where money and owners are a thing? Yes, we we are living in that world. Then no chance. Absolutely not. Daniel Jones is getting the shot when he comes back. Yeah. And I uh, think even in the
0: other world, I think I would still go with Daniel Jones.
1: I think it's more of a conversation. I think that Tyrod, like... I think he executes the offense better, which I put in scare quotes because the offense changes a little bit when he's out there and executing the offense better. is not always one-to-one to like actually being better for the team. I think that, that, that can be like a, a little bit of like a, a moving target sometimes where people say, like, Oh, he executes the offense better. It's like, yeah, but like sometimes it's good to have quarterbacks who like do stuff outside of the offense. Uh, and so I, I, there's an argument for it. And again, in the world with no owners, no money, um, Tyrod very clearly can make guys miss. And so he can still create, uh, he's, I think, just generally more accurate, uh, including down the field. Uh, Daniel Jones has done enough, though, that you still want to see him out there because he's the younger player and he's more mm-hmm. likely to be the future of the team long-term just by virtue of youth before you even added the fact that you're financially committed to him. So I don't mind it. But Tyrod was straight good against the—not straight good. Tyrod was quite solid against the Commanders. He was quite I solid. Hear otherwise, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I thought he played a decent game. I just wasn't, like, blown away to the point where you— Go, go with him over a guy who hypothetically has more potential in Daniel Jones. Like Tyrod is 30, what, two years old. It's his 13th season in the league. Yeah. And he did do a nice job. He gave Jalen Hyatt, Hyatt plenty of air yards in this one down the sideline, which had kind of been missing in this offense before. I don't know if that's necessarily a, a Tyrod Taylor thing. or Yeah, just they upped H- his snap Hyatt. counts.
1: You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they like, upped I, his I think, snap count. I think if Daniel Jones is playing, they're still probably just doing a Jalen Hyatt thing, so they need to do a Jalen Hyatt thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that went decently well. There were some big co- connections and some that were good throws that Hyatt couldn't quite come up with. There seemed to be a little bit more to the offense that there has been in the past. The pass protection, while not great, was a little bit better. The explosiveness in the receiving core was a little bit better, like with Hyatt, and Wondell. Robinson had a big one as well. Um, when Daniel Jones comes back, do you think— things are going to kind of fall off a a total cliff again or do you think that they will be better than they were maybe the first two or three weeks of the season when they were giving up you know historically good games for defenses
1: yeah it's it's never as bad as it as it it was or has been and it always evens out i think my favorite thing about football is the fact that you can have like structures like the patriots had where it's like okay the worst loss in Bill Belichick's coaching career immediately chased by the second worst loss of Bill Belichick's coaching career and then just like 2 weeks later they beat the Bills right you'll have uh you know like the Niners scored 30 straight points for the first 5 weeks of the season they're one of like 6 teams to do it in history and then the next week the Browns just sit on them and you're like all right that's like Browns are good and then the very next week the vikings beat them like it, football because the schedule like there's fewer games than baseball and basketball because of the, the physical nature of the game and the matchup nature of the game all 11 players there's just so much more room for weirdness And so when the giants had the run to start the season that they did on offense against the cowboys against the cardinals like it was obviously awful it was not good to watch none of it was pretty but it was it was gonna get better even if nothing changed and even if they had injury like it just your 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 staff figures stuff out your players figure stuff out you get a couple more lucky bounces and things are gonna look a lot better so when 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 jones gets back it's going to look better now again like there are there are two worlds here there's a world of like theo and ben are watching film and the giants aren't as bad as they seem and then there's the world of the giants just gave daniel jones 40 million dollars a year what's the expectation right and if it's hey, we're not as bad as we thought when we weren't scoring any points in the first half ever, you need a little bit more than that right. from your offense the way you invested in it. Uh, and so what will be important for this team is the fact that they're getting Hyatt more activated, the fact that they get Barkley back from injury, the fact that they get Wandale back from injury. He was missing time to start the season. These are your uh, investments on offense. And then Darren Waller as well. And they've had Waller the entire time. Obviously, Waller has a hamstring every day that ends with Y. But these are the investments that you've made in offense the last couple of years. You have to show that that something here is um, not just like uh, tenable, not just workable, but legitimately threatening. Because in, in the modern NFL, if you don't have an offensive weapon who scares the living daylights out of me, you ain't playing. Like, welcome to football. You got to have at least one dude, and probably you need to have at least two, who I'm like, holy smokes, how do I deal with this cat? Uh, that's, that's A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. Probably not DeAndre Swift, but Adrian Brown, Devontae Smith on the Eagles. It's Tyreek Hill and T. Higgins on the Bengals. It's Debo. Thank you for on the abstaining ninth. from this. Yeah. The- <laughs> yeah, I don't want to bring that up around you. Those wounds are a little sore. And with the Giants right now, you like, okay, Waller's over 30. Like Even if you get a couple more years of that from Waller, you probably still need another guy. And you spent the second-round pick on Wandale. You spent the third-round pick on Hyatt. You have Barkley on the franchise tag. Like, somebody needs to be that for them uh, mm-hmm. to show that this offense has actual cornerstones moving forward.
0: Yeah, a, a second one outside of Barkley would be nice, and I do think that Barkley is one, despite the numbers and despite the yards per carry averages. I do too. I,
1: is Barkley part of the future plan of the team? That's like because you're 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 contract wise, you're you're on high, you're on Wandale, Barkley, you're not there yet. You got to figure that out.
0: Yeah, and if I would be calling, if I was another team about Barkley, I I really would. I think with the way the league is right now, with how short a lot of the passing game has become and how low the level of play has been for quarterbacks across the league, I do think a good running back can be valuable right now. I I think that Mm -hmm. their value is starting to bounce up a little bit. And I think that when I watch Saquon, it's the most impressive 3.8 yards per carry that I think you can see the amount of stuff, nuanced stuff that he has to do to just chip away between those tackles and that offensive line right now which has been the least cohesive unit in the entire league I I think is really impressive and requires a really high degree of athleticism and anticipation and vision and I I really think to do what he's done behind that line these last two years is is more impressive than any of the stats indicate and if he's not part of the long-term future of the team and they want to kind of punt on everything and get picks, and if they see what McCaffrey got last year, which was, was not nothing, you know... Two
1: and a three and a four. That's, that's yeah.
0: healthy, yeah. yeah, I might think about it if I was the Giants. And if I was another team, and I see what McCaffrey offered f- the 49ers, I might actually think about doing it. I might actually think about doing it. And I don't know exactly what team that might be. I think about potentially Green Bay, who is in on Jonathan Taylor, if they want someone, who, like it would be a lot of money towards the running back position, but they have no one right now outside of, around Jordan Love, because I don't want to lump Love into, like, Mm -hmm. the good while everyone else is bad. Like, they're all kind of bad. If I was a team like that who could want even just one difference maker, and if the Giants were willing to give him up, I I, I really like Saquon. I think that he is, is being failed in New York, and that's kind of a whole tangent, but... Yeah, I, I
1: agree with you that Barkley's got value. I agree with you that I would be calling for Barkley. Dable did tell reporters today, recording that Wednesday, they're not going. He's yeah, not going he anywhere. said he told Barkley personally that they're not going to trade him. Which there's like a there's like a there's a there's a, a very standard curve when it comes to like how emphatically a coach says we're not trading a guy to how likely it is that he gets traded. Right, like the more strongly a coach is like we're not going to trade this dude, the less likely he's going to get traded. Like that's very standard. And then there's a cliff. Where when you get way too emphatic, it now makes me really think it's going to happen. And I feel like Dave went over the cliff where Dave was like, I went up to Barkley directly and personally today in practice and told him there's no chance we're trading him. That smells to me like something I retweet two weeks from now. Like that just seems too over the top. So I am I'm, I am still keeping my eye on it.
0: Yeah, I, I think that he could be a big addition for someone. And maybe not the quite the same way that McCaffrey was. But I think if we're ranking top running backs in the league right now, I think... McCaffrey is one. And then it might be Bijan and Saquon if Nick Chubb is hurt. I T- Derrick Henry is still quite good as well. And I I think that in the current NFL with the lighter boxes and someone and with all the checkdowns like shallow outside the numbers, a guy who can catch like Barkley and make things happen in space, like I think it is is quite quite valuable. So that was another takeaway I had in this game. The other aspect of the Giants that has improved is the defense, which, you know, Looked pretty horrible the first couple weeks, like all the units on the team, but they just shut down the Bills and they just shut down the the commanders. What do you think, if anything, has changed from the beginning of the season to now with their defensive performance or what they're doing?
1: Yeah, welcome to the Wink-Martindale defense. Uh, this is volatility, right? This is a defense that's inherently coached around volatility mm-hmm. uh, with the amount that this team blitzes. And they're, they're changing up their coverages and playing more responsible coverages now than I yep. think Wink was known for when he was in uh, Baltimore. I think, like, when people do the Wink-Martindale conversation, they're always like, he blitzes a ton, he plays man. It's like, okay, he blitzes a ton. We're kind of not—we're doing more coverage-wise. We're sprinkling in zone, and yep. we're changing looks, and, like, we're, we're doing more sim pressures. And, like, all oh, that's really, really good. In part, that's because I think you have to. Like I think you're learning that quarterbacks are really good at beating the blitz now, even the bad ones. Another part of that is that his defensive line is just a little bit better. That you don't have to necessarily commit five, six guys to the rush as often as as he, had, he did previously. So they're doing more stuff in coverage. Like the Deontay Banks interception was a good example of looking like maybe it's it might be man. They get to a zone look. Banks makes a great play against zone. He gets a pick. And like they're relying a lot on banks as a young player to, to carry a lot of weight for them, he's just going to get better week in week out, uh, mm-hmm. and that's going to help I think level out some of your volatility and, and keep your arrow pointing up in general. But this is the nature of this defense, right? Is that you you run into a Cardinals team that's really well coached offensively and has a lot of creative plans, uh, and they end up getting on top of you, right? They're they're they're, they're running beaters to you, right? They're, they're they're anticipating your counter punches, and you're just giving up explosive plays to a team you shouldn't. And then you run into a commander's team that's, like, also well-coached. Like, Eric Bambi is good at this. But you get on the upper hand, right? Your defensive line starts winning. Howell's making some mistakes. And then all of a sudden, you have this suffocating performance. Commander scored seven points. It was a muffed kick. A muffed yep. punt, including a fourth down convert. Like, muffed punt into short field, into fourth and one conversion, into touchdown. It's the only points they scored. Like, this, like, they had the commander's number, like, all game long, especially situationally on, on late downs and on rush downs, where Wink could really open the tank. But this is the nature of, of of a defense that he coaches. There's going to be weeks where you're like, they're real, and then there's going to be weeks where you're like, they're the fakest thing that there is. Yep. And until they get like really dominant personnel, they're always going to kind of ride that roller coaster.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it, it the improvement, in my opinion, in the zone coverage has helped a little bit. They have kind of tightened down the screws a little bit. I feel like at the beginning of the year, it was a little bit more basic just in terms of pass rush plan just like pick a gap and kind of charge through it with and since the bills game i thought that there was a bit more movement a bit more layering in all aspects of the defense and akira had a crazy 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 game against the bills and that was happening more and it wasn't like he was manned up on a tight end or a running back like that was zone he was playing on a string and, and making plays and yeah volatility it's It's going to happen for this Giants team. and I think banks has done a good job. I liked him a lot coming out of uh, Maryland yeah. he it's not it has not been pa- perfect. There has definitely been some ugly performances. but considering it, i mean he you compare him in like Forbes like that's exactly
1: what I was about to say. like there's there, when you get a rookie corner, you can do a couple things, right? You can toss him out there on an island, right? Uh, Patriots did it with Christian Gonzalez. incredible, like holy smokes. Commanders mm-hmm. did it with Forbes. That man started to drown, right? They had to pull him. Like it was like, a guy. Right, this is not going to work for you. Yep. Banks is the sort of guy who you talked about there on the island, and he. It wasn't swimming, but he was keeping his head. It was above somewhere the water. in between. It was yeah, somewhere exactly. in between. So It wasn't those like two. Gonzalez, who like immediately excelled, or Forbes, who like. DJ Moore is going to go for 300 yards on this kid. He was making mistakes, but he was keeping his head above water. So you go, okay, yeah. we're going to leave him out there because it's not going to break his confidence, and he's going to learn through reps. And I think you're seeing that for sure. Uh, there's, You know, you can also slow roll these guys a little bit, like Joey Porter Jr., the way that the Steelers are doing it. So there's other ways to bring it around, but this seems to be working for Banks. Always when it's like a sit-start thing with rookies, especially at like high-pressure positions, quarterback, the obvious one, but like corner is another one. Offensive tackle is a good one. It's always like, how does a guy learn? Like, is he going to be able to stay out there, make mistakes, and stay confident? Because if so, just put him out there. And that's going to be the fastest way to get him on board. And I feel like that's what you're getting from Banks. Uh, so I like, I like what, what, what he's given. I, they, they needed three things to happen, I think, to really round out as a defense. They needed Banks to hit, and I think that they're, they're getting there, right? I don't think, yep. like, week one he was Christian Gonzalez, but I think they're getting there. They needed the Okereke signing to work. Holy smokes. Excellent. Huge, yes. huge, huge, huge. He's been he's Wink been Wink had a great quote in the offseason where Wink was like, uh, you want a fast defense, you need a fast middle linebacker. He's like, if if if, if the mic ain't fast, you can't play fast. Like, like physically and mentally. And that that that's like one of those instances where like you don't necessarily know if it's like Coach Speak, or like what exactly he's saying, but he clearly like gets something from his years of experience there, and you see it. Where it's like, all right, if my mic works, everything else works. So two for two. The third one is they need to cave on to take a step. And that's the one where I'm like. Let's go! Come on! Yeah, he's hey. on the
0: same plane. Yeah. I, I don't think that he was quite as bad as Twitter was making him out to be at the beginning of the season. Uh, he does have five and a half sacks. Was uh, he getting
1: a lot of flack on Twitter? I, he was I, getting I, a
0: ton of flack yeah. on Twitter. He, everyone was hating on him and putting him on milk cartons and whatnot. I, I think that he's at about the same place. Yeah, that, that breakout has not quite I agree. happened. I do want to talk about the Washington—well, Forbes kind of comes into this. He was benched for this game. St. Juiced came in, and he got burned on a double move once and made a couple really nice plays in coverage. So up and down, definitely, to me, a better option than Forbes at the moment on the outside, unfortunately. Uh, I'm not a big Kendall Fuller fan at this point in his career. I think that he's looking a little potentially washed as well. So kind of tough for these Washington corners this season to— hold up and it's disappointing because the front four looks very good in Washington. And that starts with John Allen. And then it kind of goes to chase young, who was a huge question mark coming into this year after time lost with injuries, his second and third seasons. I thought at the end of last season, he came back and showed the potential to have a season like he's currently having. I thought it was the right move to make it a contract year for him Um, Get kind of that monetary incentive going, not trade him, giving him another shot through the whole season. And he's playing super well. And I want to know your thoughts on, like, exactly how well is he playing? Could he fetch a top contract at the edge position after this season?
1: I don't know. The the injury history is what gets me there, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Chase Young, uh, groin strain in 2020. A uh, season-ending ACL in 2021. Uh, and then he had a uh, stinger this year in the preseason, but he came back from that. And so he's had multiple lower leg injuries, which I think worries you. It, he looks like he's the same athlete coming back off the MCL, which makes you feel better. And so you're like, all right, we're somewhere in the middle injury-wise. And from the outside looking in, when you don't get to like work the guy, then like, who knows, right? We're just yeah. kind of like, shooting in the dark. Uh, I'm a Young fan. I'm not over my skis on him. And, and I've always been a little, probably lower than consensus. Like I, I objectively like the player. I do think that uh, like a lot, when Young came out, there was a lot of like, you know, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young, here we go. And Young's never been as good with his hands as the Bosa's were coming out of Ohio State. And I was like, Joey now in the league is not super great. But like if you watch Nick, like Nick can win reps that he doesn't win with explosiveness a lot more consistently than Chase can. Chase tends to be like, if I win the first step, we're good. If I don't win the first step, I don't have as much sort of a player. And yep. so that worries me. Like right now, like the the Alex Highsmith contract to me is like a really good litmus test. Uh, I don't think, I think what, like one-tenth of NFL fans who know Chase Young's name know Alex Highsmith's name. Highsmith is the second outside rusher for the uh, the Steelers. He signed yep. a contract this year. Uh, I'm not sure I would give Chase Young the Alex Highsmith contract. Four years, $68 million, right? Like I think Highsmith is an objectively better player at this point. And so... That's what makes it tricky. Is that there's a, you're trading a lot of name value, you're trading a lot of potential, you're trading a lot of like the early draft capital. But in terms of like where he's at relative to other mid twenties guys, like you probably have to give him the Highsmith contract just because of inflation and pedigree. I'm not sure he's a better player than Highsmith is, and then I also have the injury history to worry about.
0: Yeah, I think that that's somewhat fair. I would I like him a bit more than Highsmith. I. Maybe I should watch more Highsmith, but...
1: Highsmith's had a good season, dude. He's, he's, he has, he's something.
0: He has had a good season. He's had a couple, and la- last year he had a ton of sacks. Chase is just so damn big, though. <laughs> like he's
1: just yeah, looks... Cool.
0: He, he looks like... Him and Miles Garrett, I feel like, are the two edges I look at as just like, in terms of physical specimens, they might be the two best in the entire league, and mm. he moves so well at his size, and... He's had a really good productive season. I think the motor is running hot right now. He has had pressures late in downs, I think maybe a couple coverage pressures in the the numbers there for sure. But he had a really good game against the Giants. Although what you're talking about is true. Like one, he kind of jumped the snap and that made it easy for him to just win around the edge right away because he has such strength up the arc. And he's just a lot to handle because of his size. I, I do think he's gotten a little bit better with his hands from where he was maybe as a, as a rookie, but, uh,
1: he has. Yeah. 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 I lo- so I'm looking at like, right, like deals right now, right? Like Chubb's making 22 per Crossy's making 23, five per bonds, making 20 per, but bonds pretty old. Yep. Um, Garrett's making 25 per, like, I don't think you're getting in that neighborhood. Do you? <laughs>
0: Probably not if Max right. is up there. You can't yeah, look at his numbers so right. next so to then Max So your next Crosby. neighborhood
1: is Harold Landry's making 17.5, which Landry signed that deal when he was 25, right? So that's about where Young is now. Um, Randy Gregory's making 14 per. Shaq Barrett's making 17 per. Highsmith 17 per. Then, like, you're, like Emmanuel Ogwa's making 16.3. John Frank Myers making 13.7. You should be able to get, like, like you yeah. look at those numbers, and you're like, I want to beat those. And then they end up being the Highsmith number. Like, to me, right, like, he's not a top 10 contracted edge. So he's somewhere, like, from 10 to 20. I think that's doable. That's gettable for him. A lot of it is conditional on how he gets to his second deal, right? If he gets to his second deal by finishing the season with Washington, Montez Sweat has 13 and a half sacks. He has nine. You know, so he's, like, he's like a good productive season. But you can argue, okay, if I'm, like, the edge rusher one, like, I'll get a couple more. Then, like, you know, you go to free agency decently strong. Yeah. If he gets traded at the deadline... And a team spends a legitimate pick on him you have a lot more leverage now right now 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 a team spent a pick to get you in the building they now you know they didn't want to do that for a rental they want to do that long term your leverage goes up a little bit so if we end up with a young movement at the deadline he goes to jacksonville jacksonville sends a two for him yeah i I think he's much more likely now to get like a a sizable deal and then paying off on it to me is a health thing like i'm confident if he stays on the field he can be a disruptive player so you got to be able to stay on the field
0: Yep, yep. He has some really rare wins. I think that's what it kind of comes down to with him. Like the consistency isn't always there, but he had a rep when he came back last year on Trent Williams. That was super impressive. I can't never heard of Trent totally, Williams. He's missed. can't totally remember the details of it. I think it may have been a swim or arm over where he just looked. I mean, he he cooked him, and there's just like with the the size and I think the movement ability at the, and just a couple wins that get me really really excited. I, I might bite and 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 bet on the trades that made him the number two overall pick. Although I agree, like his rookie of the year campaign probably was a little overrated, and and coming into his sophomore season, it got really bleak. I thought for him, so yeah, I I agree with what you're saying. I think that he will get in that Alex Highsmith range from them. Now let's talk about the Washington Commanders' offense. I actually disagree with one thing that you said earlier, and that is the Eric. I thought Eric Bieniemy kind of left Howell out to dry in this game, and overall, throughout the course of this season, hasn't quite done a great job putting him in in positions to succeed. And I think it shows through in the sack numbers. Oh yeah, yes. We're at,
1: sacks are an OC stat. Stacks, let's hear it.
0: I well. To me, this game felt a little bit like Mahomes in the 2020 Super Bowl, where there's just pressure all the time. To me, in this offense, they are fourth in neutral situation pass rate. Mm -hmm. The other guys in the top five are like Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, and Tua. Other guys in the top ten in terms of quarterback play, in terms of pass rate, are like Dak, Herbert, Geno guys who can really drop back and operate a full passing game. And then there's Howell up there at the very top. They love sending four, five guys out in routes. They love trying minimalist kind of protection stuff. And against a giant's front with Dexter Lawrence when he can pin his ears back. They were never out of this game. They passed like 50 times. Mm -hmm. That is, and you've got a quarterback who's this big game hunter and wants to hold the ball. It's like Tampa. It's like them teeing off on Mahomes and there it just isn't enough to me easy buttons or, or plays that encourage Howell to avoid a sack. And I think the fact that they have taken so many negatives uh, is a large in large part due to Howell's own pocket presence and how much of a big game hunter he is and how much he wants to hold the ball. And it was true at UNC as well. So it's not like this is just this scheme where this is happening. But watching this game, I just don't know if there's any reason for him to be dropping back this much, in shotgun this much, with five guys protecting him this much. I, I think there needs to be a little bit more focus on getting things buttoned up.
1: Mm-hmm. I uh, This is why I like you, Theo. Because what this is... What this argument is right here is the run the football, run pass balance. You need to be able to do both argument, which like, you know, very easily for like a lot of like the nerd approach to football is always just like, no, like passing is better than running. Press the big pass button. Pass, 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 And like, you, which enemy, you should do if
0: you have Mahomes or Burrow yeah. or Herbert or any of the other guys even in then, the top 10.
1: Look at what the Chiefs have done in terms of how they've changed their offense over the last couple of years and where they've invested. Look at what happens in the Bengals when, when they have this Joe Burrow offense that just, is all these tiny dropbacks, and they're not capable of running the football eventually at some point the pendulum starts swinging a different direction like you reach a critical mass and passing starts to jump the shark and the only other thing you can do is running and there's there's opportunities in the running game that aren't available uh because you haven't invested in them so on the commander specifically i agree that eric Bienemy enemy is too pass pilled uh understandable thing to be when you were the offensive coordinator with mahomes for so yep. long You're also dealing with a a quarterback in Howell who came out of North Carolina spread. Uh, He came out of air raid stuff. So when he sees it, when, when he sees it on the field, he sees it better when, when, when it's spread. Like, he knows how to get, like, when, when he walks up the line of scrimmage and he sees four guys out, that's what his eyes are used to seeing in terms of who's where in coverage, where are the safeties, and where are they rotating. Once you condense that formation, you put two tight ends, you put them under center, you put a second back in the backfield, all the guys are now standing in different spots defensively. He's not going to be able to diagnose stuff as easily. So you're also keeping him where he's more comfortable. So I get why enemy is is there on the pass happiness. Yep, I, and, yeah, and the ahead. other
0: guy in the top 10 who you would consider to be a bad quarterback— has a really high pass rate is Baker Mayfield and you see the same thing. Like yeah. he came from a spread offense and that's kind of what the Bucks try to do with him as well. Is like you don't want to condense the field too much yeah, for Yeah, so
1: fundamentally, yeah, I think Howell sees the field better when it's spread. I think he sees routes better. He tempos routes better when it's spread. That's my my read on him, right? Now, when we get to this level of, of sack production, there's like, uh, Howell's going to set the record for the most sack player by like comfortably. He's going to set the record for most sack yards lost comfortably. No, nobody cannot be at fault there. Like, I'm like, oh, it's all on Howell, oh, it's on B enemy, it's on the night. like everybody's participating when it's this bad, right? And so I definitely think the enemy's piece of it is finding a way to keep more guys into protection and, and, and in doing so, still let Howell get rid of the ball quickly, right? Because typically, if we wanna get rid of the ball quickly, we have to go quick game, which means you have to go spread. Going condensed and quick game is really hard. Uh, that's one of the magics of Mike McDaniel, right? Is that he goes condensed formations and then two has a 2.2 second time to throw. And you're like, how is this real? Uh, and so that's a challenging thing to figure out. You can figure that out uh, to a degree. You run the football a little bit more, you take the wind out of that pass rush. What you do have to then still ask yourself if you're the enemy, and now I'm devil's advocating here because I don't know what he's been through in this process, is okay, let's say I do all of that. More condensed, I'm gonna run the football, I'm gonna add guys to protection. If Howell is still fundamentally a guy who's just going to hang back there and take sacks, shouldn't I just lean into the skid and go empty anyway and give him more options in the route and give him guys to throw the ball quickly to give him, here's an underneath route to your left, here's an underneath route to your right. You're going to take a lot of sacks regardless, so I might as well get a bunch of dudes in the concept, might as well get routes down the field so that when you do get rid of the ball, I'm actually getting completions and I'm getting explosive gains and I'm getting yards after the catch. And when this commander's offense works, that's how it works, right? It's like first and 10, Howell's hit second and 17 second and 17 15 yard Terry McLaurin gain like they just go back in big chunks and they go forward in big chunks uh, and so there is i think again like we're kind of talking about the world of balance and what buttons do you press and, and where you have your changeups. There is a world i think where the enemy says listen if i went condensed and i went run game our overall yards per play would go down and we would still take a bunch of sacks so I'm just gonna, we're just gonna be what we are. We're we're gonna be a team that pushes the ball down the field. Be a team that goes spread. So that way, when we win, we win, and when we lose, we lose. We don't try to be something out of character. And I think that'd be defensible if that's his approach. So it's very challenging to figure out what makes the most sense for Washington.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I, I like I said, Howell's sack rate in college, it was him and Malik Willis above 10%. So yeah. it, it just might be in his nature, and you can tell that he's looking at that alert a long time, you know. No like Malik he, he wants to Malik Willis
1: this week. Dude, sad. Malik would have been a great feature for, for next Wednesday. Maybe he will be. Maybe it would be Will Levis instead, but I uh, would have liked, liked a Malik game. A
0: Malik game would, be, would make for stellar Wednesday night football content. It would make for very stellar Wednesday night football. I don't think I've talked about the Titans yet. On this podcast, which is shocking because they're, they're bad so, at playing bad games, they're yes. good at playing
1: relatively mid games.
0: Yes, they're they haven't quite been bad enough. It's been a lot of Raiders, <laughs> and I could have picked. I could pick them every single week. If you Raiders picked Raiders are,
1: Bears, I would have gotten canceled on this podcast because I had a good amount of money on Raiders minus two and a half, and then they played too high against Tyson Beighton. Uh, uh <laughs> what? <laughs> I was so mad watching that game, dude.
0: You were watching that game?
1: Financially speaking. (laughs) Investment-wise, I was, and it was not pleasant. Um, (laughs) Titan schedule. They got the Falcons. I think the Falcons will be good enough that that won't be a good Wednesday Night Football game. But then they have the Steelers in the box. Ooh, Steelers is prime. I don't think I've talked about the Steelers yet on here either. Titan Steelers on Thursday Night Football, dude. That just stinks like 13 to 9. That's, oh, why we talk,
0: that's why we talk about the Thursday night games on here as well. And that's what I think is up next. We're about halfway through it at the 30-minute mark. So let's talk about the Thursday night football game. It is Bills versus Bucks, which before a couple weeks ago looked like it would be a perfect game to talk about because it would be such a blowout. But the Bills are coming off a loss to the Patriots, a horrifically bad offense was able to kind of get right. And so let's talk about the Bills and everything that has gone wrong recently. And it really, I mean, it's the injuries. There's really not too much more to say Mm -hmm. about it than that. When you lose a top linebacker in Matt Milano, uh, a defensive tackle really playing at a Pro Bowl level in Daquan Jones and Trey White is out as well. It's a lot to overcome and Von Miller is still working his way back very slowly from this injury. Just, to me, not a lot of Talent or athleticism on the field for these Bills. And like they would get the ball to number 81, Douglas, the mm-hmm. rookie. And he would just go ham. Like Take there's no one, no one was, could catch him on the entire Bills team. Like they were all old or slow or late draft picks. And he was just running around and making everybody miss. And to me, like, I worry. Do you worry about the Bills having enough juice on defense to make any kind of playoff run?
1: Tremendously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I called the Bills posers before the Patriots game because you could just kind of see the dominoes defensively and being like, all right, we don't got talent. Uh, the Bills are su- such a shame, man. I'm going to look back on the late 2010s, early 2020 Bills with, with such fondness for, for my whole life. Such a fun team, such a dynamic team, such a well-coached team, a well-staffed team, good drafting, good players, good development, and then just no AFC championships, let alone a Super Bowl appearance. And this is always why, like... Um, uh, I'm a renowned enemy of Chris Ballard and a, a critic of him. And, like, Brandon Bean is kind of the, the, the guy that my, some of my ire is going towards because this is why, like, when you have windows, you have to be able to hit windows. You you When you when you get the, the quarterback who works and you have enough star talent on the team to win a championship around him, you have to sell out. Because when you say to yourself, oh, it's fine, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are just going to be good for a long time, no, they won't. Right. When you say to yourself, it's fine. Matt Milano's a star. We're going to have Matt Milano for forever. No, you won't. Right. It, guys get older. And when they get older, they get slower. They get a little less sharp and they get a little bit more injury prone. And then it hits you. It hits you like a ton of bricks. Right. It started to hit them last year with injuries and safety hits them with in injuries this year along the defense. That back seven was so ready for so long and they couldn't figure out the front four. They couldn't get the pass rush where it needed to be defensively. It was always good, not great. And then they go to get Vaughn and last year it was supposed to be it and Vaughn gets hurt. so he we run it back one more year, we got it. And Daquan goes down and Ed Oliver's been hurt. No more Tremaine Edmonds. It's fine, we have Matt Milano, he goes down. Tredavious White injured again, which is horrible. Tredavious White's so good. And they've tried AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham and Gregory Rousseau, who Rousseau's another one who like we talked about with Thibodeau, good. Take a step, he's so close. Rousseau's so close to being like a really impactful player. It's just not fully there yet. Kyrie Elam first round, like they tried, man. But when you drafting is tough, when you miss on some picks and you're not able to to to, to hit your window, you you get old and you kind of you kind of fall out of that that top contending tier. So defensively, it sucks, man. It's heartbreaking because this this front feels like it's finally like this front on the back sevens of three years ago would have been good enough. Like it would have been enough to really be like that terrifying playoff defense. By the time they got the front figured out, back seven isn't what it used to be. It's nope. just bad timing. So. I, it, it sucks. I will say that like when Sean McDermott took over the defensive uh, calling from Leslie Frazier this past off season, I don't put a verb to that fire, let go because it's kind of a mess or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Sean McDermott took it over, a big part of that transition was supposed to be, Hey, like we were a lineup and play defense. We were simple. We were trying to play fast and try to out talent you. We need to be more complex than that. We need to be more aggressive than that. Well, this is why you do it, right? Cause when you get injuries, you can't just line up and out talent anymore. So like, uh, Right now, they're they're reeling really because of all the injuries. I will be curious to see this defense over the next couple of months. Like, what has McDermott got in his bag? Like, you're a really, really good defensive coach. And everybody deals with injuries. You guys have been more unlucky than the others, absolutely. Um, But there's ways for McDermott to add teeth to this defense, even with the injuries. So I'll be curious to see what he does as we get through the fall.
0: Yeah, it's. I think it's super interesting when a head coach has that defense. It's a lot on his plate, and that's when kind of the human aspect comes into it, because when you're mm-hmm. trying to lead the whole team and you're also the D.C., how much time can you devote to it i I wasn't totally sold on that move when it happened like you're just gonna fire your defensive coordinator and then just not replace him with anybody we'll see how it goes i that's the one that not being in the building it's impossible to know exactly how they handle responsibilities or everything like that but yeah it's it's all mcdermott's show right now and if they're gonna hold on and make the playoffs or make a run in the playoffs, it, it has to be all McDermott in scheme, and we'll see what he can we can he can chalk up as the head coach and, and DC. And then on offense, it's kind of been the same story. Like, you just need a, a little bit, a gear more of juice. And early in the year, it looked like they maybe had it with the addition of, not the addition of, but the focus on James Cook, and he was playing super well, um, and Kincaid. But these past couple weeks, it feels like, you know, maybe not. That's maybe not quite enough. A tight end and a and a running back. It, it feels like again, who is that second superstar? Like, oh my God, yep. there's there's someone else on this team who will torch a double, not just hold up and be okay. Or if the if the dig gets digs get doubled on the other side, they can torch a one on one. And right now, it's just like they can hold up in a one on one, but can they take over a game? And can it? become like not even an option and you have to you know spread your team out even more like it feels like that is missing in ways that it isn't quite from you know the Bengals who will probably overtake them the Ravens who will probably overtake them just not quite to me enough juice on either side of the ball for the Bills right now
1: so can they beat the Bucks (laughs) yeah yes all right have your quarterback be way better than the other team's quarterback. That's how you win yes. games in the NFL, and, and they should be able to do that. Bucks defense, I think, is not what it used to be. Uh, uh, look good on some numbers because of uh, red zone turnovers and third down staunchness and, like, a lot of stuff that can be pretty noisy. Uh, but I think overall, like, it's just not as scary of a unit as it, as it used to be. Uh, run defense-wise, I think you can get after these guys. Then outside corner-wise where they've, they've had injuries and yeah, they've had turnovers. They can't the really play man. Yeah. it's 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 still a Todd Bowles defense. That's a good, that's a challenging defensive coordinator to go up against and there's still talent like Vita Vea, Shaq Barrett, Levante David, like this still got, this. they got guys, Antoine Winfield, Carlton Davis, but all together, um, not the terrifying, you know, of the Brady years. And so out talent, them, right? Like have Josh Allen, have good weapons and be better. I'll be curious to see what the offense looks like with no Dawson Knox. Uh, Knox was an important player for them. He was taking a, a majority of the snaps, and, and they wanted to be a multi-personnel uh, tight end team. And their second tight end, Dalton Kincaid, the rookie at Utah, can't run block. Uh, you draft him to be a Kelsey. Uh, and so now you have no Knox. And Knox was the guy who was doing some dirty work for you in, in your running game, in your handoff game, which was actually kind of working... Well for the Bills this year, right? They've, they've they've over the course of seven weeks. I know they've they've had some yeah, ups they and look, downs.
0: they looked like a completely well-rounded yeah. team versus the Dolphins a yeah. couple of weeks ago. They were, I mean, Romo kept saying it over. He was like, "Different Bills team, Jim. Different Bills team," and then yeah. it immediately kind of dried up.
1: Romo's always surprised when a team is different than it was when he was playing. <laughs> uh, regardless, uh, the uh, yeah, like you have you have a running game that's like, you know, uh, functional, but the loss of Knox I think impacts that a little bit. Uh, so I'll be curious to see what they look like in, in that regard with the changes. But with Diggs, with Allen, you should be just straight better than those guys. Defensively, don't let this be a shootout, right? Like, uh, the only way – I think your offense is going to be fine. The only way you lose this is if you're you're struggling and, and, and consistently giving up to Baker Mayfield in the pocket, which is just not an acceptable thing to be doing, no matter how many injuries you have. This is a game where you expect the depth of that defensive line to show out, be able to generate enough pressure on Baker, force him into enough mistakes, generate a lead, and then, and then keep it, too. The, the – in the bills losses they've tend to come out to really wonky starts on offense uh the the offense if you can get ahead in the count this defense can play against the pass pretty well so they do need i think more positive game scripts to look like the unit they're supposed to look like
0: i agree i agree i think with the bill or with the bucks defense just the pass rush hasn't quite been what it, it has been shaq barrett isn't quite where he was they rely a lot on number zero the rookie Diaby which is, you know, Yaya Yaya Diaby, who looks the part. And then there's Tryon Shainka, who is, I think, a decent player, but nothing too crazy worth a first-round pick. And, yeah, when it comes to playing man, they're so thin in the secondary. And, like, their outside corners and their slot corner just – they can't – yeah, Diggs Diggs should – Dig should show out. Dig should show out. And Allen has been playing really good. I think that every time we talk about Bills, I have to do an Allen QB2 check. You say? Yeah. Yes. Right.
1: It is. If we wiped Patrick Mahomes off the planet, which would suck, but if we did, Allen would be quarterback one, clearly with a bullet. No one would question it. But because he isn't QB1 with a bullet, nobody would question it. Then he's QB2, and then we want to question it, right? We we, we, We say, okay, well, Mahomes is the top guy, but like below him because... We, we don't want to make multiple exclusions. We don't want the fight to be for QB3. That's boring. But if you look over the course of the last few years, and you took Mahomes out of it, you look at any data that you want, you look at any They're film that you two. want, Josh Allen would be emphatically quarterback one, and it would not be close, and we'd all be talking about quarterback two. So it's a relative measure. It's because Mahomes is where he is that we question where Allen is. Um, where do you land on like Ken Dorsey, Brian Dable stuff? Because I know that's the big thing for Bill's offense right now.
0: I think that it's fine. I think that their offensive results have been pretty tip-top over the last couple of years. I think that his game plan against especially the Dolphins was, was quite good, and I thought that his play calling in that regard like, was successful, and it was schemed-up stuff. And really, since week one, and until maybe this week against the Patriots— It has been a lot of Instructure Allen stuff. Like He was on his best behavior for a couple weeks after the Jets game. Like It was top of the drop, ball out, ball out, ball out, and they were working. It was moving down the field. It's not like when he was trying to create Instructure, it all fell apart and it's like, oh, well, clearly he needs to run around. No, I, I think that it all sort of went smoothly. And I don't know. I guess I'm not the best scheme guy out there, but I don't really think that, what Dorsey is doing is a fireable offense. I I think that people get so caught up in everything needs to be number one or everything needs to be perfect all the time. Like I see it on Packers Twitter with Lafleur right now. Like they want him gone. Everybody wants every coach gone all the time. And to me, I don't think what Dorsey has done – and last year it was like, well, there is no structure. It's just like, Alan, go make a hero play. It's not the worst strategy in the world, you know? Like that's kind of a (laughs) – it's it's kind of a good thing for Allen to do. Those are like good plays for the Bills when he has that kind of green light. I don't know if he totally has that green light from Dorsey because Dorsey will break his iPad in half sometimes after watching <laughs> Allen play. But uh, yeah, I, I overall think that Dorsey. I mean, what he hasn't done enough to be fired. He hasn't done enough to, I, in my opinion.
1: No. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm uh, my big thing on Dorsey is the is the Mahomes Allen thing. It's the relative measures. When Brian Dable was the OC, Josh Allen went from being really bad to really good. And in the NFL, like we always want to attribute credit to things, and it's and it's hard to do so from the outside. But we went like, oh, Dable did a good job helping Josh Allen go from really bad to really good, and that's like fair, right? And then Dable leaves, and Ken Dorsey is there, and since Ken Dorsey's been the OC, the Bell's office has gone from really good to really good. It's still really good. It's yes. one of the best in the league. It's really productive and efficient. But because there wasn't this, like, humongous second tectonic leap, because, like, James Cook didn't become Aaron Jones and Dalton Kincaid didn't become Travis Kelsey, everybody's like, ah, oh, Ken Dorsey can't hack it. He was the quarterback's coach when Allen got good. Like, he probably deserves some of the credit for this whole process anyway. Uh, it looks a little bit different offensively. Like They're not doing the same stuff. But, let, again, let's use the Chiefs as, as, a, as a barometer here. The Chiefs are are passing the ball less than they were a couple years ago and they're running the ball more and they're going under center more and they're a more efficient, less explosive offense, and they are that like like the Chiefs are six and one. And I don't know about you, but I'm constantly dealing with people being like, Are you worried about the Chiefs? Like Chiefs? Not, yeah. not as good. Doesn't look like it used to. Only because the Bills are four and three and not six and one do these issues feel legitimate. Cause the Chiefs are dealing with the same thing. We're like, of course everybody wants every play, every game to be forty-five pass attempts, four hundred yards, and three touchdowns. It'd be sick. Guess what the number one thing every defense in the league is trying to do? Not just when they face Mahomes and Allen, but when they face everyone. is to prevent that. It's to prevent that game. They want you to beat them in a different way. And so uh, this the, the, the concern over the Bills offense feels inflated because they have won a championship and because they've lost some tight games. They've lost some one-score games. I have a couple coin flips on the other way, and they were 6-1. and one it would not be nearly as big of a deal. And if a couple of other coin flips went a different way two years ago and they went to a Super Bowl, it would not feel the same way. This is, I think, a lot of accumulated bills, angst, and urgency getting dumped onto one thing that isn't even the biggest problem with the team right now. The biggest problem is the defensive injuries.
0: Yeah, it's, to me, every, who's doing it better? Like, we all got to be It's – we're not comparing it to the numbers we can put up when we play with the offense in Madden when – any of us can go on and throw it to Diggs a million times and put up 200 yards. It's easy to do. You look at the offenses across football right now. Who is like thrilled with their offensive play caller? Probably the Dolphins.
1: Yep. If they're not enough, Dolphins fans. Yes. Dolphins fans but- have been in my mentions for three straight days because Chase Claypool blew a block. Like it's not. They, these, these guys gotta be be better.
0: These guys, yeah, I, I finally blocked VBS. I, I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. I I couldn't uh, uh, couldn't keep McDaniel, going with the uh,
1: the Cardinals, right? The Cardinals, yeah. The Cardinals Petsing. are stoked.
0: They've got to be hyped. There's uh, the 49ers, but 49ers fans always have a weird vendetta against Kyle Shanahan. Uh, you can't like the, the fact that they've lost two straight. Yeah. Maybe they're like breaking If you're out that if you're a Niners fault, fan and you six it.
1: of Kyle Shanahan being like, I love the play calling. Like, I appreciate your optimism, but like most of them I feel like have, have gotten past that and they're into more other things now. Uh so Cardinals are there. I'm trying to like scroll through every division in my head really quick. Uh Ravens? Uh, it's still kind of messy for the Ravens. Like they're playing great on offense, but they're still I mean,
0: like, I saw everybody last week when they were playing the London game, I saw so many people mad at the play calling because they couldn't convert in the red zone. Uh, and they were like, Why yeah, are you running? Zone, why are you running point. it? So, like, maybe now, since they just won, people are happy. But, yeah. like, as recently as last week, everybody was mad at Todd Munkin. So,
1: I think Lions fans probably, like, Lions fans know with Ben Johnson that they skirted by that head coaching cycle last year, and they're just true. enjoying the ride this year. They're, they're, they're pleased he's there. So, um, that's, that's, yeah. four
0: that's, that's four teams. That's four teams yeah. that so, uh, An
1: eighth of the league, maybe.
0: <laughs> so, that's why I think, like, when it comes to Ken Dorsey, I mean, you can be as mad as you want it's just unfortunate everybody is hurt and it's unfortunate that the chiefs traded in front of them to take trent mcduffie and they were on mic'd up war room cam like being like fuck damn it shit <laughs> and then you take kyer elam who can't start for you like that's unfortunate that that happened to you it's unfortunate that everybody got hurt it's unfortunate that you haven't inv- that the front office hasn't really invested in a game breaking wide receiver to go alongside Diggs. It, it's unfortunate that it it is kind of sputtering out at this point and the offensive coordinator maybe he could do a better job like I, I don't know about play calling. I've never put on a headset. I've never <laughs> I've never tried. I if the results are good, I assume that he's smarter than me. So it's, it's to be the second best offense in the league pretty much since he's taken over behind Yeah. Maybe the third behind the Dolphins and the and the Chiefs now, but who who has a higher rate of success? It's it's the Bills at the very top. So, and and with Day Bowl, the line is so awful. The line is the least continuous group of starters in the league so far. And
1: it wasn't even good when they had the top five.
0: Yes, and it yeah. wasn't even good when they had the top five. I mean, they just got shredded. The talent is just bad. they It's not Dable's fault. I, don't, I mean, it is Dable's fault by making Jones look good last year that Jones got the contract, but now that they have saddled him with kind of a mid-quarterback behind offensive linemen that are bad and wide receivers that are, like, just not well-rounded, like each is kind of good at their thing, but none of them are at all the complete package. Like Wandale, you can have him run an option route, and he can break the right way and catch it and run. And he can kind of bounce around underneath and Hyatt can take the top off everybody. But like, who is, who is a guy there that is like good at everything? Nobody. So you're asking Dable to like do what he did last year again. And it would have been awesome if he could, but the players just aren't performing. And I guess it's his job to coach him. So maybe you can fire him, but I I don't think so.
1: no I, At any point, everyone wants to fire anyone, and it's rarely helpful, except for, like, Josh McDaniels' environments, which case I'm like, yeah, you should probably do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that would make sense.
0: You can can start to feel when the locker room starts to go, and at that point, then I think it's okay. But I don't think the Bills are clamoring for Ken Dorsey to be fired. I don't hear any dysfunctional, like, quotes coming out of that locker room like I am for the... No,
1: they love Ken Dorsey. Yeah, they they like Ken
0: Dorsey, and the results are good, and... Yeah. Like, if I... (laughs) I have done more as an analyst to get fired from Blue Wire than Ken Dorsey has done to get fired as the head coach or the offensive coordinator of the Bills. Like we are all we should all be fired from our jobs, like with the standard that we hold coaches to, yeah. I think.
1: I'm at Ken Dorsey at Bills Camp this year. Talked to some of the players about Ken Dorsey. They're big Ken Dorsey fans. Ken Dorsey and Kyrie Elam got into a fight on the sideline during practice, and the entire offense was ready to murder Kyrie Elam. <laughs> because he was beefing with ken dorsey who's by the way ken dorsey's like a strong 6'3 ken dorsey's a tall dude unnecessarily so i'm not into that (laughs) he kind
0: of looks tall that doesn't surprise me about
1: 6'4 is that that's that's what wikipedia is telling me he's a lanky fella cute kids
0: yes like yeah like me um (laughs) yeah
1: you're you're not 6'4 you're like 6'1 i'm 6'4 you're 6'4 gosh everybody's too tall you, you've met me we I know I don't game. remember you being that tall
0: I'm taller I'm like as tall as Nate
1: <sighs> this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me Nate's like
0: six, six. Oh, maybe I'm not as tall as Nate yeah. I'm pretty close I'm Gosh. not I'm I'm, not. T-
1: I'm I I'm I'm 511 don't worry about it
0: you're 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 taller than you look <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, how short do I look theo I am five seven
0: you, you look you look pretty short I think that's I'm, tough I'm taller than I look no one has ever no one I didn't ever think you were six four. be 6'4. I thought for sure you were in 6'4". You've met me. You have no excuse. You have no excuse. That I was think like it's two years ago. That was at the Super Bowl.
1: <laughs> well, firstly, yeah, I met you before the Super Bowl. All right? That's true. Yeah, yeah exactly. So don't you forget that. But then, yeah. Super Bowl. Super. Bowl. Uh, here's the other problem. It's hard for me to get relative measures on people because everyone's taller than me at the Super Bowl. Because these are all ex-players. True. Right? True. I'm constantly just surrounded by professional athletes and previous professional athletes. So it's horrible.
0: Have you ever been to NBA Summer League? No, and I hilarious, will never hilarious. Hilarious environment. Everyone Not a is. It would make the the Super Bowl people look sh- like everyone there is six foot five, and like Taco Fall is is walking around and he's seven six. It's a hilarious just place to be when that is going on. But anyway, I'm trying to think. Do you have any other? Uh, I, let's let's go with a score prediction for the for the Bills Bucks game. I th- I think it'll be close because. I do think the Bills are limited, and I think the Bucks are still feisty, even though they've lost a bunch of games. I don't think they're like bad, bad. But I'll say the Bills by uh, eight.
1: Yeah, the line's eight and a half. So good, good, good instincts there. Good, oh, sweet. Good, good Vegas work from Theo. Yeah, I think it's like a 24 like 17 a, a sort of a game, 24 16 sort of a game. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Bucks move the ball pretty effectively. But then have a lot of drives end with like field goals and with turnovers and stuff because this Bills defense snap to snap isn't what you want it to be. But they can also create some chaos and get some big big stops and get some big plays. They tend to be a really just big play defense overall. Um, And so I think that you'll see the Bucks move it and get points, but not enough to outpace the the Bills. And I think Bills wise, you're gonna the, the the goal here, like I said, get get points early and then you can. Work the running game, and you can work the clock, and you'd be a more measured team. So, like, yeah, like 24-16, 27-16 makes sense to me. Um, but it should be—it should be an interesting game. Like, I'm excited to watch Thursday night football because there's a lot to learn. I think about both teams. The Buccaneers have looked terrible against every real team they've played this year, like Eagles, Lions. If you want to put the Falcons in there, go for it. I'd like to see the Mike actually show some teeth here.
0: I think they're capable of it. I, the core of their defense is good. I, I think. You you get Vea and then the linebackers and then Antoine Winfield right behind it. The like, linebackers
1: be- implies that more than one of the linebackers is good there, Theo. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Devin White. He You tossed Shaq Barrett in as an offensive uh, outside linebacker, getting getting a little little, little cheat there. N-
0: no, I, I guess David for the most part. I'm disappointed by White. I fo- I thought I thought he had potential to kind of for the first time in his career not be told he's like the greatest at everything as a 5th round pick and then immediately he goes on that playoff run and he's ranked as like the number 1 linebacker in the entire league by all the executives. Like to me I I just felt like the chip on his shoulder was kind of gone and then he asked for the huge contract and doesn't get it going into this contract year I thought maybe we could kind of see a return of that playoff run type of Devin White like playing for a contract finally getting told like no you're not you're not all that because he he does have a lot of... He, there was a time where he just took away outside runs against the Buccaneers. Like, he just flew over there and, and took it down, and that entire playoff run, his, his blitzing was fantastic. And if Todd Bowles can really utilize a guy like that, but it's just has not been enough growth and, and really regression in, in several areas. That is unfortunate. But Bowles with his... We talked about this with Cody Alexander. It, he's grown like it is more all all the blitz heavy coaches have grown a little bit. Flores has grown bowls has grown like with mixing things up on the back end. And it's not just, you know, cover zero all the time anymore. So it can create some, some havoc. And I do think like Levante and Antoine Winfield, when those two are behind each other, like it's kind of tough to throw to that area of the field, but yeah, it's, it's not a consistent defense. It's not a strong one at all points. Yeah, I agree, 20, 16, some yeah. weird score because it's, it's Thursday and something weird is going to happen. big
1: Bills blowout, it's great for content because we can laugh at the Buccaneers. And if it's, a Bill, if it's a Bills loss, it's really good for content because we get Bills panic. So either way, I, Thursday Night Football will deliver this week, I believe.
0: I believe as well. Well, I want to ask you, uh, you one more, or go ahead. I want to
1: ask, did you see the, the Purdy news that just dropped? No. Purdy's in the concussion protocol. Started to show signs on the plane ride home, apparently, from Minnesota. Uh, and in the protocol on a Wednesday means it's really unlikely he plays on a Sunday. We might be getting Samuel Darnold against the Cincinnati Bengals, starting quarterback for the 49ers this Sunday. We go to Theo Ash live for his thoughts. Who are they playing? Bengals.
0: That's not good. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think with Darnold... I don't know what my thoughts are. I I really. I I, I
1: ambushed you with it. It's a tough one.
0: It's a tough one because I just don't know how much to assign. I want to say that they could be fine. I do want to say that. Darnold did actually play inspired ball for the Panthers down the stretch last year. You know, he comes into a system where. You know, it is nice. It is schemed up. Like, you just need to kind of rip it where Kyle Shanahan wants you to rip it. He does have a lot of athleticism. And, again, played some decent football for the Panthers last year. I thought, like, legitimately good for a stretch until that last Saints game. So I think there is a real potential that Sam Darnold could come in and have a good performance. I, I don't think that's totally off the table. And Kyle Shanahan is a guy who is not afraid to say, we're going to run it every, every single play, which could easily happen as well. I, I think it is overcomable for the 49ers. I think that you we have seen some of the flaws of Brock Purdy these last two weeks. He's not necessarily a star for that offense, more of like a role player who happens to be a quarterback. So I, I think that it could be, obviously with Purdy dialogue, a big week at the ringer. And um
1: <laughs> We love us I think some Brock it, Purdy over here.
0: I think it, it could be uh quite the week for Brock Purdy dialogue, Cause I don't think it's off the table that that Sam Darnold plays well. I, I don't think that it's one hundred percent crippling, yeah. but obviously Purdy does some some nice things of that, that off in that offense that as, and Sam Darnold has turned it over about a billion times in his career. So
1: Yeah, it's uh it's a big Kyle Shanahan week. QB two, no debo probably like against the Luan Rumo defense, it's a challenging uh, uh, circumstance to be in. I have every confidence they're going to score thirty-one points, and the discourse is going to be extremely toxic. I'm very excited. Yeah, it'll be,
0: it'll be horrible. It'll be absolutely, <laughs> it'll be absolutely disgusting. And that's just the story of every Kyle Shanahan tree or Shanahan tree coach right now. Is just they've made they've made the dialogue so bad.
1: What was the last season that Shanahan was coaching an offense where the backup didn't play for at least one game? It has to have been like years at this point. Matt Ryan. Did Matt Ryan ever did game. Did Matt play for every game in 2016? I I, I think so. Let's, check, let's do a little Matt Ryan sports reference real quick.
0: He put okay. up such crazy numbers. I'm like, he had 2016.
1: To 16 and 16 games. Absolutely. There okay, so go. Matt Ryan, 2016. So probably not since joining the Niners as he had one season with just one quarterback who played all the snaps. I'm pretty sure Jimmy never had a full season.
0: Absolutely not. There's absolutely no chance that Jimmy Garoppolo had a full season. I would bet that there hasn't been a season with the 49ers where the back. 2019? Played. He
1: played 16 of 16 games? What? They went 13 of 3. He played all the games.
0: That was the Super Bowl year, yeah. correct? The first one.
1: 2019. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to check on CN. Yeah. Uh, following players attempted a pass for the 49ers in the regular season in 2019. Jimmy Garoppolo attempted 476. Dante Pettis attempted one. Emmanuel Sanders attempted one. That's it. Jimmy, we lied. Damn. Jimmy, we we doubted I, you. We thought you were out him. for at least yeah, a game, yeah. but you were there the whole time. Great work, Jimmy. What has Jimmy
0: Garoppolo's injuries been this season? I feel like every Raiders game, I just turn it on, and Brian Hoyer is in there, and I'm like, I didn't even know Jimmy was like hurt. I didn't seem like yeah. leave a game. He's just. I love you. Love to sign a free
1: agent quarterback to a contract that's, like, conditional on him clearing a physical that he didn't actually fail, uh, uh, complete, Clear. and then you have no. to restructure the contract. It's always a good sign when you're really dealing with it in the summer.
0: And it's good when you are playing with Jimmy Garoppolo, who is so sapped of athleticism that he can't pass a physical. That's a fun situation to, yeah, we to love be that. in. Well, I think that's all we've got. I do want to hear your one non-Wednesday night question, like a legitimate football question that people might be interested in. Kevin Byer, did the Eagles, y- your thoughts? Super Bowl. Super See you Bowl.
1: There. Bye. Uh, no, the Eagles' safety room was the worst in the league and is now not. And they were 6-1 and one and getting away with it. Uh, there's a lot of worlds in which they played that Dolphins team and they didn't get away with it. Terrell Edmonds was, was, was a big part of why Tyreek Hill scored the Yeah, he the gave up, up he about 100 yeah. yards in that game, definitely. Um, they, they have some figuring out to do. Uh, Reed Blankenship is their only like semi-good safety, and he's been there free. He's been their weak side safety, and now they're gonna. Uh, uh, that's Kevin Byard's spot, and so I'll, I'll be curious to see if they move Reed around and how they play him. But that's not really a, like a real problem because you have Kevin Byard, and you just kind of figure out what the other spot looks like. Um, it's pretty classic Howie, pretty classic Eagles. The Eagles have made a move. This is not at the deadline, but the Eagles have made a trade before the deadline in the season. I think in like at least six of the last seven years. I think it is like this is what they do is that they're just going to be super up-to-date on contracts, have cap flexibility, and then wait to see who's weak, who's rebuilding, who's moving on from guys, and they won't wait for the deadline to attack. They'll go after it, right? So, like, Edmonds plays bad on a Sunday night. By Monday night, Kevin Byard's on a plane. And the fact that more GMs don't do it is very funny. Like, GMs love to complain about Howie. All he's doing is grinding. All he's doing is grinding. grinding. He is grinding. you should be doing it, too.
0: Yeah, and he doesn't really... I don't think he quite believes in, like, the chemistry of the locker. I feel like a lot of the contenders, right. they're like, why, why touch anything? Like if you're the Bengals or the 49ers, why, why touch it? Or the lions. Like it's going well right now. Like right. we're not going to bring in someone new or ship someone out that we invested in. But then with them, it's and like it's the culture is that, like, winning.
1: Yeah. Like the way that Howie goes about it burns some bridges, right? There's a lot of guys in front of offices who really don't like Howie. And then there's also players who get really frustrated with Howie. There's a coach who goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars who really doesn't like Howie because how he will aggressively move off of young players who they're expected to develop to just stick a veteran in there so he can win some more games. And like, so it, it's an aggressive approach. It, it makes him a lot of enemies when you uh, win a Super Bowl and attend another one and, and ownership has already made huge commitments to you since the early 2010s, you have the flexibility to do this, right? This is why like, we don't really see general managers get second tries because usually the really good ones entrench themselves with ownership, entrench themselves at the top of a team and then just run it. And and they're able to survive. Like Howie has survived the Andy Reid firing, the Chip Kelly firing, and the Doug Peterson firing. He's survived three head coaches being released. That's extremely rare, even among the top GMs, right? Like Colbert in in uh, Pittsburgh, they were keeping the same head coaches. Mickey in in the Saints, they were keeping Sean Payton. The fact that Howie does that is a, is a testament to his staying power. He makes a lot of enemies, but he's made the right friends to keep his job in Philly, and that allows him to be aggressive like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I watched a ton of Bayard film after the trade happened. He hasn't made any impact, like negative impact plays so far. It's it's zero PBUs, zero interceptions, zero TFLs. Like he doesn't really rush, rush the passer. But just just so solid at this point in his career. Like put him at depth like he's seen it all before, like body mm. positioning, taking routes away, and then reading things like it's crazy how fast he reacts to blocking schemes and like is able to insert himself into the play and can really read it out like a linebacker and is still quite a physical guy. So, yeah, after after what happened with Terrell Edmonds, who, yeah, really probably responsible for over a, easily over a hundred yards in that in that yeah, <laughs> Dolphins there's game. Uh, there's was...
1: no reason to throw near Kevin Byard this season given the outside corner situation for the uh, the Titans. So I'm confident that with slaying with Bradbury, Byard will see more ball action and production will jump up a little bit.
0: I'd be interested if you watch him or have watched him. I was so confused with the PFF numbers with his charting, by the way. it's.
1: I've watched him. I can't say I've watched PFF charting. Uh, no. I, I, PFF's got him for you. Yeah.
0: He doesn't get thrown at, does he? Fired? Yeah.
1: No, I mean, when you play deep middle, you're, you're inherently not going to get thrown at a lot. And then with no. the way that the Titans are willing to let their corners live and die, like... No. He, he, he has
0: he, he has not gotten targeted. He, they say PFF has him with more targets than than Edmonds, and I'm like that. It cannot be true.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I I think that again. Like I don't know how the the, the charting goes I for PFF, was, and I, I tend either. not to look at it. Um, with Bayer, like I think structurally they were not doing things to weaponize him. They were just playing him as he's always yep. been played, and the supporting pieces around him didn't let him have impact on the ball. In Philadelphia, it's going to be easier.
0: I think so too. I think so too. I think that he is not. He is not washed by any stretch. So, good trade for the Eagles. That's all we got this week for Wednesday Night Football. Thank you, Ben, for coming on. Thank everybody for listening. Go Bills or Bucks, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Leo. Thank you, Ben. Have a good...